This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey guys, I'm back with my favorite movie polymath, Eric Anderson, editor in chief at Awards Watch. Is that a word? <laughs> Is it? I don't know. I'm gonna have to Google that and make sure it's a compliment. <laughs> it's a genius. Yes, yes, it's definitely a compliment. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so we're back covering the Sundance Film Festival, and this time we've got a few titles to report back on, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts, Eric. In general, how's your festivaling going? You know, I, I have to say I, I need to give a shout out to the programmers and to everybody at the festival for creating a completely from the ground up platform to be watching everything that we're watching uh, because it's it's been tremendous. It's been fantastic and everything looks great. There's no... There's no weirdness like sometimes you'll get with a with like screener apps and things like that. It's um it's been pretty flawless. It's been flawless. I totally agree. And it's worked so well. I've had no problems. They've done a really good job with all the interviews. Um I don't know if you know this about me, Eric, but I'm a crier. <laughs> And I've been crying at tragedies and musical performances and great shows and Muppets and I don't know what. There's been some incredible movies. And uh, so it's probably better that I'm home than I'm at the actual festival crying. I know. Although, you know, sometimes being at a festival with a bunch of people, seeing something for the first time and, and having that type of visceral experience yeah. can be can be pretty... I mean, almost transcendent, really. I miss but yeah, that. I do. I do, too. I, I definitely miss that part. Um, I don't, you know, miss running around in the snow and that kind of thing. But I definitely miss, you know, going out into a lobby and seeing my my peers and friends and, and talking to them before I just, you know, throw off a, a, a tweet, you know, 10 seconds after I see something. But let's get started. I think let's yeah. start with the first, the premiere movie that's Coda. What did you think of this? So <laughs> I think my, my, my comment, and then it wasn't, you know, an, an original one because a lot of people thought the same thing, uh, was that it was somewhere between like glee and sound of metal. And that was actually a good thing. It was, it was, it was a, a compliment. I really, really liked it, even though there was absolutely nothing about it that you could not tell was coming, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes before it happens. It hits exactly the beats that this kind of story does uh, that you, we've seen in other formats before, except I didn't mind at all because everybody in it is so good. It is it is conventional, but it's somewhere around here I started crying. <laughs> it's just heartwarming and accessible and and the whole cast from the marvelous Amelia Jones. Now the story is about Amelia Jones plays a girl in a family where she's the only hearing member of the family. The mother, father, and brother are all um, deaf. So she's a coda child of deaf adults. And I absolutely love the environment that the movie's in. They're like a 
fishing business. That felt very original. And it's just a very, very heartwarming story. Yeah, I, I, I like the location too. Uh, and it was almost a little bit of a surprise that there weren't some pretty hardcore like Ben Affleck, Matt Damon type of <laughs> accents going on there. Because I mean, it is, it's, yeah, it's Gloucester, Massachusetts. And that's as like, as Massachusetts as it gets. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I thought the the location was was cool. The idea was cool, especially for, you know, this young high school girl working on a fishing trawler, which is uh, highly unusual. I, I just thought that that made for something uh, very different. And that she actually liked what she was doing, even though she wanted to do other things. It wasn't like she no, right. uh, regretted it or anything like that. Now, this movie was the one, there's always one at Sundance that sells for an amazing amount of money. Last year, it was Palm Springs. Um, this sold for $25 million to Apple. Your thoughts on that? Um, it. My thoughts would be in line with what Kyle Buchanan from New York Times said, and that is that Apple is shooting their shot above you know, Netflix, Netflix and, right. and and everybody else to to hit that that high mark to make that a a main, if not the main story of the festival. And they did that. It's it's a crazy amount, but something I, I hope people take away when 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 they see these really big numbers is that a lot of that money is gonna go to the producers and the creators of the film who probably don't work with those kinds of budgets. $25 million is a significant amount of money compared to the budget of this film or of any film that's at Sundance. So the beneficiaries of it are the people that make the movie. The right people. Yeah, I hope people I hope people take that away when they see $25 million and don't just immediately be like, oh my God, this is ridiculous and it's not worth it and it'll never make... Put, put that aside for a moment and understand that that, you know, then goes to those filmmakers' ability to make other movies, period. Moving on then to another movie that I thought just uh, was absolutely unbelievable. That is... Flea, an animated documentary. Did you see that? No, and I was gonna, I was trying to before doing this today, but I I haven't gotten to it, and well, I did I'll get... sell you on it. <laughs> no, no, I know everybody I know has, and everybody loves it. Oh my it. god, I... it's another one that sold for I think seven figures or something like that, and so worth it. It's a Danish um, documentary. It's about it's an Afghan refugee who agrees to tell his story about his persecution and escape under incredible conditions and his relationships today and how they've been affected by his background and everything that's happened to him. And there's a few documentary real footage in it, but it's mostly animated because he's anonymous. It's it's really incredible. Ben, I know that Riz Ahmed is now going to do the one of the American voices in it, and they're, they've gone in as producers on that, and Nicholas Costervaldo. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm super excited for it as a as as a, a, a film. I think the concept is pretty fascinating, and it reminded me of Welcome to Chechnya, which mm-hmm. used. Uh, a tremendous amount of face tune to disguise its its people so that they could be safe 
so I'm I'm fascinated by this this story. I'm I want to see obviously the original version before an English language dubbed version. Yeah, do. But I'll watch that one too because I'll watch or listen to Riz Ahmed do absolutely anything. Yes. Okay, next one that you really liked? Uh, I also watched on the opening day Sensor, which I thought was really really fun and it's this taking on the UK standards of what was called video nasties in the 80s which was extreme extreme hardcore gore and so the the censors there had to like keep cutting or requesting cuts little bits and bits of things that looked too realistic like you know needles in the eye or whatever it might be and it turns into this woman that is uh, leading this uh, specific movie um, into the background of her sister's disappearance. And it starts to become a little bit movie in a movie. And it's in four by three ratio and it looks like the 80s. Anytime you have like some outside lighting, it has that... Uh, that Vaseline on the lens mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of look yeah. to it. Um, so it really sticks to the aesthetics of the movies that it's about. And I just thought it was so much fun. I Ooh, loved it. I, I, I missed that. I'm going to catch up on that. That sounds good. It's a British movie? Yes. Yeah, I thought it was really fun. I liked it a lot. Moving on with the ones that I thought were incredible. Yesterday I saw Mass. Did you get to see that? Yes, yeah. I did. And that's the first thing that I've cried at. <laughs> okay, what? <laughs> I know. Well, okay, so I mean, before, before that, I watched the well, Rita watch Moreno. Flea. Yeah. No, yeah. I didn't see Flea. I watched the Rita Moreno doc, which I liked a lot. I watched John in the Hole, which I did not like. Uh, I'm getting to I those. Yeah, I watched In the Earth. And so then yesterday, uh, I started with the Ailey doc in the, in the morning and then Mass at, at like noon. Um, yeah, that it's mass is just a for me, it's just a stunning screenwriting and directorial debut by by Fran Kranz is his name. I don't know if I could manage to see it again, because it absolutely gutted me. It's about two two sets of parents meeting in the aftermath of a school shooting. Um, one of the sons um, was the killer and the other one was shot. And it's almost a play in a movie. The most incredible acting, Martha Plimpton, Jason Isaacs, and Dowd is incredible, and Reed Burney. It's about forgiveness and just, I, I, I was gutted, but I thought it was absolutely incredible. What was really fascinating about this for me is that even in the descriptions and the log lines for the movie, it's, it tries to be a little bit vague, very intentionally mm -hmm. so. And the first, like, what, 15 minutes, almost 20 minutes, they talk, before we even get to this sit-down, everyone is talking around this event without mentioning it, or they, they pause and the camera pauses when people like leave a shot just like briefly and there is such a a sense of like worry and nervousness and Tension. unease 
Yeah, and tension before anyone even gets in that room to talk. Oh my God, it was, I, I, I do maybe wish that it had ended in a different place because there were about three or four times where I thought that this was the end and here's like going to be the last shot and this is actually a really beautiful end here. And it kind of kept going a little bit longer than I think it needed to. Um, but I, it's, I, I'm so, I'm so thrilled to see Martha Plimpton do. I know she, she does great drama on stage, but she hasn't really been given that much drama to do on television and film. It's almost always comedy and she is absolutely otherworldly here. Well, the end worked for me. There's a last scene, a last sort of confrontation is the wrong word but between story Martha, it's a story it's yeah, the story between martha plimpton and ann dowd which really i thought was incredible but, but i understand what you mean powerhouse acting and and i did not know where they were going and as you said even when they start the conversation it's so realistic they start off being you know polite to each other and pleasant and some small talk and then how that small talks turns into something else and then into something else and then the emotions come and i just thought it was incredible yeah, it's it's strange though. I mean, I've seen some of the, you know, the the, the tweets and comments say, you know, this is an examination of the, the American gun laws, and it's not that at all. It it's it isn't that even like in the slightest. There's like one or two sentences devoted to that. Uh, so it's a really that was a strange thing to to see people try and uh, couch it as that because it's not. It is about it is about this direct addressing of parent to parent and and personal forgiveness and and forgiveness of others and, and I hate to even make I hate to even make that sound as as simplistic as it does because it's it really unfolds in a way that it's just undeniably empathetic and mm. moving well I'm, I'm curious i haven't read much about fran kranz how how he did the research on this and he said and in, in the opening uh that and he wouldn't go any further into it than that understandably so i guess uh that there was a personal connection to this story so i don't know it feels that way I don't know if yet yeah, as a as a first time oh my God, yeah. directing and writing thing. And sidebar, this is always one of my absolute favorite things about Sundance is how many of these movies are first time movies. You said that last time, yeah. Oh my God, it's it's really the greatest thing. I mean, we 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 kind of want to gravitate to things that we know anyway, and we're like, oh, I love that director. Yes, I'll watch that movie. But what we can find and discover from first time movies is insane. Insane. and certainly this yeah I'm, i cannot wait to see what what he does after this and this certainly has to be acting oscars come next year right you know so, somebody asked me about this the other day and i i had to be really honest in that i i don't i don't think so really? i i'm for, putting and doubt now i I think this is a perfect movie for like the independent spirits. Um, uh, 
because it is this quartet of people, I, I think if you're trying to really, you know, push one lead over supporting, you you can make the argument that that Plimpton and Isaacs are more lead because it does open and, and end with them. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty minimal in that sense. Um, and like it's really sag ensemble. I would I would I would say I would write it down for the Robert Altman Award at the Spirit Awards like immediately. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll I'll, we'll see who picks it up as well and how they want to manage it. Um, I can see Netflix doing this. They've been conspicuously quiet this very festival. Quiet. Very very quiet. <laughs> so I'm I and I know that they're working on stuff i know that they're, they're hovering. gonna they're they they are so we're gonna get like a flurry of like blah, 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 blah. yeah and yep. I, I i could see them i could see them picking this up pretty pretty easily i'm gonna make a a pivot here which is very very different but in the same vein in terms of a um, directorial debut which i'm awestruck by did you see summer of soul i did not so Summer of Soul is a documentary by Questlove, The Roots. Yeah. And he has made, they found footage that's been lost in a basement of the Harlem Cultural Festival in 1969. And he's put together um, this footage. It's incredible performances by Mahalia Jackson, Gladys Knight, Stevie Wonder, Mavis Staples. But I have to say, I've seen, you know, we've seen a, a few concert films in our lives and they can be, mm. this was just, is unbelievably directed the editing is flawless the rhythms that he goes between the performances and the history and people talking and the tempo it goes from politics to what's happening in the audience and you he's you can tell he's a musician i've never seen anything concert movie wise edited like this i'm so impressed and it's just at the end it was like a standing up at the sofa just <laughs> I think that's the other thing missing from the the festival experience is the standing ovation because it's like you, when you got like one or two people at at home that are maybe going to do that. Um, yeah, I've heard great things about it, and 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 something that that I mean, you kind of touched on it too. When you when you're putting together a film that's all uh, archival footage or or found footage like this, you really then get to you're creating the story you are creating the the film and and it it's almost kind of like an like a a blank slate in order to do that you have your you have your footage now you get to create right. the story around it and and i think it's where movies like this and documentaries like this can can just be so successful if the if the point of view and the editing and directing like you said is is so zeroed in and there's so incredible I new interviews in this as well um you know dispersed between but he has this ear for like no this performance we're going to watch the whole one and it's exactly the one where you as a viewer are like do not interrupt this because i'm in it <laughs> i'm in like a catharsis right now listening to you know mahalia jackson or, or whoever it was that that, that onina simone at the end it's just yeah. mind-blowing and I have to say, there were several uh, documentaries about incredible performers and entertainment that were really good that I've seen. Now, you were mentioning Rita Moreno. Did you like it? Oh, my God. I loved it. I thought it was so funny and clever. It, it opens, the opening credits are just 
all of the awards that she's won. EGOT. Um, it was, which was amazing. And then her, her sit down interview segments had her EGOT in the background. I'm just like, legend, legend. If someone doesn't know what EGOT is, that means that she's one of the very, very few that's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. And they even talk about it because uh, Whoopi Goldberg is one of the interview subjects and she starts it. She even brings it up about mm-hmm. about EGOT. It's just so damn funny. But um, it's, it, it's one of those, there's a lot of star documentaries that we have and, and some are great. And if this one does a, a whole lot to reveal more about her than I think most average people know which is exactly what a documentary should really do. We should be able to, to see a subject we think we know about and really expand our knowledge base on it. Um, 70 years in entertainment. Oh God, it's, it's wild. The interview portions got so open and deep and heartbreaking and just the level of discrimination that she's faced in playing roles where they literally you know had darker makeup on her to look like indian or whatever she was supposed Mm -hmm. to be and the misogyny and the assholery of marlon brando (laughs) and oh my goodness even more horrible experiences that she just talks straight into the camera about i mean it was so raw yeah, I, I, I thought it was I thought it was outstanding. I really liked it. And I'll just quickly mention that I also watched the Sesame Street documentary Street Gang, which also ended up crying. <laughs> it was also very good. Thought I'd get into or we'd get into some of the stuff that maybe wasn't quite as good. And you mentioned John and the Hole, one that people were really looking forward to. I, I think they were looking forward to it because, again, talking about log lines, you're like, okay, this is fascinating. What in the world really? is going to happen here? You know, a, a, a kid throws his m- mother, father, and, and sister down this, like, bunker hole, and, and here we go. Why and what happens and all this? And it, it just was – it was – Toothless is how I described it. Um, it wants to, it wants to sort of have the same kind of mood as like a Michael Haneke or Joris Lanthimos, but it's so unwilling to to dive any deeper. We don't have any insight whatsoever as to why he does it which is okay which is okay i don't necessarily mind that because you know a, a lot of the films of those directors you you can still work with that uh but there's it's just it ends up being i guess kind of boring it doesn't go past that log line i mean no. it's like Okay, and then what? And and it's from the screenwriter of Birdman, which which I really yeah. like. But yeah. uh, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely stunningly filmed. The first shots of it are 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 really good. But it's just like, and there's a very weird side story that doesn't make any sense. Um, and I don't need a movie like this to make sense, but to have some sort of feeling in your gut of what they're trying to say, what's the message, what? And it's like it's not the kid's not really creepy enough 
or to be that genre and it's not sort of brainy enough to be that genre i don't know what what it was trying to do really yeah it's 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 all it's all of those things and and less and <laughs> and there, he's he, not he's good the kid it's not bad i mean yeah charlie shotwell is is great and i think he could have done much more with uh with what he was given and it's I mentioned this this morning on Twitter because it's kind of fascinating. It's one of, I think, three things I saw so far that uses the four by three aspect ratio, which is an in, interesting, strange new thing to kind of that filmmakers are, are, do, are doing right now is kind of reaching back to this, uh, this older style and look and appearance. And for this, I thought it was fine, especially when you have the the POV of the hole from underneath, you've got square on top of square. And I, I thought that was a, a really great look. But again, it was the kind of thing where it was like, it, it almost felt like, hey, it would be really cool to shoot in four by three so we could have this one shot of the square hole and the square, you know, camera shot. And, it, and then nothing from there. It was everything about this was like, it's an idea that didn't turn into anything more. Yeah, that old trope, a missed opportunity. <laughs> mm hmm for sure. Now, did you see how it ends? Uh, no, I have that on my, on my like, second day or whatever. The... It was not for me. <laughs> um, it's That's a... the one with, like, all the celebrity cameos, and it's, like, kind yeah. of... It's Twee. a very indie film during the pandemic. Um, Zoe Lister-Jones, Daryl Wine. It's about they're going to a party, the apocalypse. They know they're going to die, and it's all they meet all these Olivia Wilde, Fred Armisen, Helen Hunt. Um, but it wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was anyway. That's the other theme of this festival too. Is the covid and virus era and subject films because i think i think pink cloud is as well without being specifically you know covid uh ben wheatley's in the earth mm -hmm. is was conceived at the beginning of of covid march 2019 and then shot and completely done under covid guidelines and is a pandemic uh film so it's the i know we're going to be seeing a lot of these a lot of them <laughs> uh but i think the trick is going to be making it unique and not um i don't know maybe quite so literal yeah and it was like some you know several people wrote on twitter about how it ends it's like yeah we thought these movies were coming in 2023, 2024. Unfortunately, they came now. <laughs> and this is early. This, they already, you know what? You know what it feels like? It already feels outdated. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like. Exactly. That's that's why that's why you have to sometimes give some. Room. Some real distance to something. So that not only so that you can, you know, an audience can feel it somewhat removed from it. But being able to look at things with more information and, and facts and, and stuff like that. I mean, like Paul Greengrass's United 93, 
works because it happened the movie happened so much later you have to be you have to give yourself a little bit of distance mm-hmm. um and again that was i mean that was very literal and that was taking real life events what we're seeing at sundance with with these pandemic and virus type of movies is that they are they are trying to really not it's not about covid that's never mentioned and it's not about that but it still feels like we're all, we're still in it <laughs> and it's and 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 m- movies are both the escapist from real life as well as the commentators of real life but sometimes you have to figure out when is when you're telling which story right right and this this one isn't specifically about covid but it you know the apocalypse and it's filmed you can see how they filmed it during the pandemic with lots of social distancing and things like it didn't work for me maybe it maybe work for others but but mm-hmm. it didn't work for me on the other hand uh, um in terms of covid the documentaries do i saw in the same breath which is about wuhan very strong documentary i can recommend that when it comes but do you have more? Yeah, um, I. You said you mentioned Sesame Street, and I think at the same time was the Alvin Ailey doc, and that's what and that's what I watched. I was disappointed. Oh, you were. I was um, because for the same reason I loved the Rita Moreno doc, and what I wanted to mention at the, about the Rita Moreno doc um, was that when it was done. All I could think about was Cloris Leachman and Cicely Tyson passing just days before. And I was like, this is the kind of document that we need for as many (laughs) um, of these people that, that are currently alive and can, can participate. Um, Because once, once they're gone and we don't have their voice anymore, it's, it just starts to slip away and 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 so it just felt more resonant and ironically the ailey documentary opens uh with cicely tyson uh when uh ailey's getting his introducing uh, him right yeah introducing him at the at the kennedy center honor or a medal of freedom and so that was really quite poignant but the thing that was disappointing is the thing that I mentioned earlier is that I I got so little insight into into Ailey um at least from what you know I had already known and I know he was a very reserved personally um about his uh uh being gay even about when he had AIDS and that kind of comes into the end but those are those are the the areas that i wanted more of him there is a lot of of uh you know archive interviews and most of it is is audio over other things and there are a few moments that are incredibly enlightening uh but very very few so it i I just i wanted more and i have to ask you about one of the most uh, the movies that was most buzzed about ahead of time and that's Rebecca Hall's Passing starring Ruth Nega, Tessa Thompson. What did you think of that? 
that was another a little bit of missed opportunity for me but i i did really like it i liked so much of it um i guess the novel's only like 95 pages so there's 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 very little which is which is fine <laughs> um but it's it's about so many things. It's about race and sexuality and identity and class and position. And it only just barely dips its toe into each of them. Mm -hmm. And it just, it, yeah, I just, again, I just, I wanted, I wanted more. I wanted a little more, but uh, Tessa Thompson is fantastic. Ruth Nega is amazing. Uh, Andre Holland is great. The cinematography is absolutely lush and beautiful. It it's missing energy. I I guess I don't the the word that mm. I will not call it is cold, <laughs> Be, because 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 people are making uh, comparisons to uh, Carol, and 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 that movie was just constantly called cold and distant and all that night i just get really really tired of that word specifically being used with lgbtq films and this is not specifically but there is uh an attraction between thompson and nega uh that transcends and that's why it's just kind of just it's a little bit about this a little bit about that and just so that we establish the the log line here um it is about light-skinned black women in new york in the 20s uh who are able to pass as white and it's a fascinating story and idea and it's actually you know, it takes place in the 20s, but this is something that gets, that is very current um, and even is a part of the conversation of colorism in television mm -hmm. and film um, and how we see lighter skinned Black people versus darker skinned Black people. Um, so there is so much there. There's so much there. And this this is... I just think it's something that could have been adapted into into something more. Uh, but everybody's really good in it. But would you have liked it to be longer or to delve even deeper into into certain of the the themes? Yeah, or maybe maybe at least commit to one or two of them a little bit more. It was about of of the of the, the things that I mentioned. It was like. 20 or 25 percent of the attention kind of went to each of them so we got we didn't get like a whole picture of course the the one thing about that is that all of these things race sexuality identity class are also all interconnected and and i think you can you could take away from that that it is just a little bit of each of those in how they create a single situation so that's and that's i i can see somebody taking that away from it and and it completely working for them um is our wonderful alexander skarsgård always gonna be the horrible abusive husband now <laughs> that's his uh i mean i, I i'm kind of i'm kind of feeling bad for him because i think he's such a wonderful actor but <laughs> 
Apparently. <laughs> He's really, really getting typecast. And I'm not going to reveal anything, but at the end. Oh, my I, God. I, I thought something else was going to happen. I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure you know what I mean by that. I know exactly what you mean. I think <laughs> once people see it, they'll understand, too, that that you're like, really? You're going there? <laughs> And and honestly, to to be to be honest, I would have preferred that for what actually happened, but it just was like it... <laughs> that 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 sort of took me out of it too. I I, I would have yes. preferred someone else than him, um, and then he getting a media role somewhere else. But I don't know. There was took me out of it a bit. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit. But it was oh my god, that initial uh, meeting. When, when Tessa Thompson is over at Ruth Nega's house and, and Alexander Skarsgård comes in. Yeah, Skarsgård is married to Ruth Nega, who's who's passing as white, and he doesn't know either. Yes, and and so they're talking about it just before he, he comes home, and oh my God, that conversation is so awkward and horrible, mm. and Thompson's exaggerated laugh is is such a, a neat moment because as as a viewer you know she's completely over overacting it uh and and it, it makes it wild that from Skarsgård's point of view he's still not getting it ne nega yes because she's she and us are on the same page but it's just it's a it's a fascinating moment but it's just so ugly mm. so eric what else do you want to mention let's see let's see um no i mentioned in the earth i think i think that's all i've seen other than judas and the black messiah which which i haven't mm. seen yet and that's premiering on tuesday i cannot wait for that yeah that actually that actually gets a, a a film festival world premiere, which is so wild. But yeah, so that'll be out the, the first. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Daniel Kaluuya is insane. Oh my God, he's so good. So I can mention, um, I saw Eight for Silver, which is a, mm. um, if you're in into the werewolf genre, it's a kind of a retelling, beautifully, also beautiful cinematography, well-crafted. Sean Ellis is the director. If you're into into that, I thought that was really good, effective. It looks fun. And then I also saw the Sparks Brothers documentary. Edgar Wright, the director, he's my kid and I, we've watched a lot of his movies. He loves him, uh, Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. I thought the Sparks Brothers documentary was great, but I didn't know much about them. So they were even more of a mystery than they are to people who know them because they're a mystery to everyone but i thought it was fascinating i didn't see it but i i did have a, a writer uh, do a review of it and i love stories like this of the the people behind the people kind mm. of things um sort of like the uh the morgan neville doc 20 feet from stardom about backup singers loved it yeah i i like that i mean we i love a good star documentary but the people behind the people have just as interesting stories. Uh, so the idea of, you know, these two guys being behind such huge pop movements of the 70s and 80s, I'm just like, yeah, I want to see this. No, I mean, their career also spanning decades and decades and um, was fascinating. 
But I think that's what I'll mention now. Um, we have a few interesting things. Where for me, it's Judas coming up. What are you looking forward to? So today, if I can manage my time well, <laughs> um, it'll be together together uh, with Ed Helms and Jockey with Clifton Collins Jr., which just got picked up by Sony Pictures Classics yesterday. And then a crazy Nicolas Cage movie, Prisoners of the Ghost Lands. <laughs> also a lot of gore. I yes. <laughs> I don't know why I even needed to qualify it as crazy because <laughs> Nicolas Cage movies are all totally insane now. But it's, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And that is definitely <laughs> looks like the kind of movie that really would have been an awesome, you know, midnight movie for a festival. Oh, where to you be just, all together, yeah. You just want to be with with a bunch of nutty people going crazy over stuff. Yeah. Well, Eric, we'll we'll catch up again. Um, always a pleasure. Yeah. Eric, thank you so much. Thank you. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast. That's a hard no about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one -on -one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.